And I'm, I'm excited to bring to you the message that God's given to me as we're working through the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go ahead and get right into it. We'll put the scripture on the screen. Today's message is called Forgive as I Forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. It's a part of the prayer that Jesus threw in, and he didn't throw it in just to kind of take up space. This has a lot of rich meaning. And I will tell you today that if you hear what the Word says today, you will come out of here different because the Lord is, is going to uh, um, come into our presence today and interact with us because this is something that's so very important. Let's look at it together. Scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me stop right there real quickly. I want to encourage you to do something. If you're not a person that does prayer journals, I want to encourage you to do that. We have some that you can just pick one up today and take it home with you and start the idea of using prayer as a daily uh, habit that you get used to when it comes to uh, spending time with God on a regular basis. I like to write in my prayer journal. I like to write out things and particularly things that I'm praying for. And this morning, as... Most of the week was with me. In my prayer journal, I, I was really short on the things I wrote, but it was really profound because I wrote, Father, your kingdom come. And I want to encourage you that if you pray this week, if you pray today, when you pray tomorrow, why don't you just start the week out by saying, Father, your kingdom come. Do you remember what that means? It means, Father, your rule come over me this week. I want to tell you that if you start the day by saying, Father, your kingdom come, it will change everything about your day because you will find yourself when you start getting distracted and when thoughts get going in places where they shouldn't and attitudes come up that shouldn't, when you remember your kingdom come, you will adjust your life to what his will is. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And if you don't have a prayer journal, uh, pick one up. You might say, how do I do it? It's, it's individual. It, just do it how you want. Write out your prayer requests. Write out your praises. Write out the things that you're grateful for. Uh, write out your concerns, people you're praying for. It'll be uh, a good habit for you to get in and just stop by the coffee shop and we'll be glad to give that to you. So Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, the will of God is always done in heaven. So when we pray, we pray for the will of God to come from heaven to earth. Pray that the will that's done in heaven is also done on the earth. Do you realize how powerful your prayers can be? That you sitting here in time and space can touch heaven and by your prayers bring heaven's will to the earth. Jesus said to pray that way. And it's something we neglect. And for whatever reason, we try to go through life without it and we trust our own wisdom kind of silly isn't it then he said give us today our daily bread i preached this last week that god wants us to be dependent upon him daily and then he gets to the part of the prayer that i'm going to preach about today he says and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors notice 
He says, as we have also, we'll go ahead and put that verse 12 on the board there. As we have also forgiven our debtors. Um, notice in verse 12 that it's, he's using the past tense. As we also have forgiven. Now, let's do an exercise. Let's say this verse out loud together, okay? We're going to do the first phrase, okay, together. Forgive us our debts. Do you believe God would, would uh, forgive you if you prayed that prayer? Hmm? But now notice what he says, though, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the level of forgiveness that you have given to others is the level of forgiveness God's going to give you. Now tell me, did God forgive you or not? You see, the problem with Christianity today is we have taken the idea of our relational responsibility and just thrown it out the window. It's like Christianity is, uh, I guess, our own version of spiritual narcissism. We made it about me, you know. As long as I get what I want and I get saved and I don't go to hell and I go to heaven, everything's good. It doesn't matter how I interact with everybody else. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just simply not the, the revelation of the Bible. And so we want to talk about prayer and this, how prayer and forgiveness is inter, uh, uh, interchangeable and, and how you can't really have one without the other. And I would say probably in the church, one of the reasons why our prayer life is so sorry, for lack of a better word, is because we don't obey the things that Jesus clearly tells us to do. When it comes to the Bible, very rarely people say, pick out your favorite verse. My favorite verse is, forgive those who have trespassed against me. We don't say that because that's not really our heart. Because we kind of live in the world where, I, you know, it's all about me. God loves me. God wants me to have a wonderful life. God wants to, to make me happy. And if someone makes me unhappy, God should just like zap them out, you know. But God says it's not like that at all. In fact, the most important thing to God is really not us. It's his glory. And he loves us. But he doesn't want us to be spoiled little kids. And we made prayer into this thing where just we put our prayer list up and say, here it is, God, you do it. And God, if you love me, you're going to do it. And God, if you don't do it, I'm going to be mad. And God, I'll be so mad, I might not go to church again. And God, I'll be so mad, you know, I'll stop giving my money to the church or whatever. You start saying things like, God, I'm just going to be mad. I'll show you how mad I am. I'm like, yeah, God's dealt with rebels before. Go ahead. Let's get into this thing about prayer. Let's get our prayer life. Y'all need your prayer life better. Anybody? I know I do. Three principles about prayer. Let's go through our outline. Let's do this quickly. Say it first. Prayer is powerful when practiced. Prayer is powerful when practiced. When you don't practice it, it's not very powerful. Does that make sense? In fact, everything in the Bible, if you can learn to do this, when the Bible says do something, just do it. If you put it into practice, you'll find out that it works. If you just read it and go on, you, there's no power in that. A lot of people read it and go on, and then they say, well, I tried the religion thing, and it didn't work. Of course it's not going to work. Prayer is powerful when it's practiced. Second thing about prayer, we pray not to a power or a principle, but to a parent. 
when we pray, we're not praying to a principle. May the force be with you, whatever. We're not praying to a force. We're not praying to something out there. Or we're not praying the ten principles of a happy life. We're praying to our parent, and he's literally called our father. The Bible says that. Jesus says when you pray, pray our father. I want you to also notice the word our there. He's not just my father, but he's our father. There's a family relationship involved. Definition of prayer is the next fill-in. It's this. Prayer is meaningful, relational communication with God. Prayer is meaningful, relational communication with God. Now I lay me down to sleep doesn't qualify. I imagine the Lord gets a lot of prayers about people thanking him for the day, and I think that's okay, but if that's the extent of your prayers, you've not gone very deep. I am grateful for every day. The older I get, I I really am. (laughs) And you will too someday. But prayer is a lot more than that. Prayer is communication. It's meaningful communication. And if you know anything about communication, there are levels of communication, and most people live in the frivolous or factual levels. In other words, how you doing? I'm doing fine, which that doesn't mean anything. Most people, you're not doing very good. You're not going to say it, and if you do say it, they don't care about it anyway. It's just something you say, right? Factual levels is I've got to go to work at 3 o'clock. I've got to pick up the kids at 10 o'clock, something just sharing facts. Communication to be meaningful goes deeper than that. It gets on the emotional level. Then he says, forgive us as we forgive. And I'm going to suggest today that that focuses on relationships. Forgive us as we forgive focuses on relationships. He's not saying just come to God and say, God, I blew it. I messed it up. Forgive us. Forgive me. He says, forgive us. Notice he used the us again. And then he throws in there as we forgive others. He is speaking of the family. We live in a world right now where we take relationships for granted. We can take them or leave them. And it's such a shame. Some people say, well, I don't need any connections. Oh, yeah? Then why are you on social media? You're on social media trying to find connections that you'll never find on there because you neglect the ones that really count. Ones that really count are the face-to-face communications like you're doing today. And Jesus says when you pray to get forgiven, pray, forgive us as we've forgiven others. And he's talking about relationships. So I want to delve through some relationships and talk about how these things interact with our prayer life and how our prayer life needs to be involved in these relationships. The first thing is, point number one, I want to suggest that we have a relationship to a father. We have a relationship to a father. But now the question would be, who has that relationship? Sometimes people say, well, God is the father of everybody because he created. No, that makes God the creator. For everyone, God is not their father. And for you today, how can you know that God is your father? The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, to all who receive him, speaking of Jesus, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. The Bible declares that the people who call God Father are the ones who have received God's Son. 
When you receive God's son, you can now call God your father. And he goes on to say, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You know what that means? That means your grandmother's faith can't make you a child of God. Your parents' faith can't make you a child of God. Just because you belong to Eastland Life Church, that doesn't make you a child of God. It's not of human descent or natural descent or human decision or husband's will. It's people who have been born of God. And so not everybody you see is children of God. Just because somebody looks like they are doesn't mean they are. Who has this relationship it's those who have been born again, those that have been saved. Let me, let me talk to you about what it looks like to be a child of God. Experientially, it's called being born again. Born again. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, one of the most religious people on the planet. Nicodemus was questioning him, couldn't understand things. And Jesus looks at this rabbi and he says, except you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, until you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And until you're born again, you'll never be one of the children of God. The Bible talks about this. Jesus becomes our father because of the new birth. We're born spiritually into the family. Legally, we are adopted into the family. The Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse 5 that we might receive Adoption to sonship. Ladies and gentlemen, the children of God are those who have been born again. They've been ones who have received the word, received Jesus Christ. And when they've received Jesus Christ, their spirit comes alive. They're a newborn baby into Christ. And then a very legal transaction takes place in heaven. God says, I'll adopt you into my family. Jesus said, pray our father. He's talking to people like you and me who have been born again, who have been adopted by God. We've been declared to be the children of God. Relationally, we are reconciled to God. We are reconciled. The Bible says he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. The Bible is clear that those who do not call God Father, those who do not, who do not call Jesus Lord, are rebellious in their sins, and the Bible calls them enemies of God. And until you've been reconciled to God, you're still an enemy of God. But when you're born again, you're legally adopted, and you're reconciled back to God. There's a relationship going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't just come and pray to a principal, and there's some good out there somewhere. There's a force that can help us. And if we just line ourselves up with something, something good will happen. If we just say certain things in a prayer, something will happen. No, the truth is those who have been born again, those who have been adopted to the family, those who have been reconciled to God, we can go right straight into God and talk to him and call him father. We have a relationship to our parent, to our father. We've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Positionally, the Bible calls us justified. Justified. What in the world does justified mean? The last part of Colossians 1.22 tells you what that is. Without blemish and free from accusation. Can I tell you, Christians, what's going on with you? You've been born again by the Spirit. Your spirit has come alive. Now you've been reconciled to God. You can commune with God through your spirit. Your spirit communes with his spirit. There's been a legal thing in heaven that says you are adopted. You are a part of the family. And you've been justified. What does that mean to be justified? To be justified means that you're without blemish and free from accusation. That 
right there is exciting to the people of God. You know why? Because that says, even though I know that I am with a blemish, I know that I can be, that, that I can be accused, I know that I've failed, I know that I've not done right, I know that I've sinned in, in the sight of God, but when I come to Jesus and I put faith in Jesus, there is a legal declaration from the judge of all, of all heaven that says, not guilty. Those who have come to Jesus Christ are without blemish and free from accusation before God Almighty. You are clean. When God sees you're standing before him, he sees you're standing through the blood of Jesus Christ. Justified. Another way to say justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. But isn't it interesting? Jesus says to pray, forgive us our sins. But if we've been forgiven of our sins, why does he say pray about our sins. You see, sometimes people get all of these big weighty ideas, you know. We've been justified. We've been reconciled. We've been adopted. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. We've got all of these things in our favor. Well, if all those things are true in heaven, then it really doesn't matter what I do on this side of it. That's where we get it wrong. Because we have a right standing before God, but our fellowship with God is conditional upon our obedience. Not only are we justified, but we are responsible. We are responsible for our life before God. So when Jesus says, this is how you pray, I'm telling you how to pray. Forgive us our debts. Because sin blocks God's activity in our life. Sometimes people say, I don't know why God doesn't work in my life. I, know, I can tell you why God doesn't work in your life. You've got sin that's blocking the activity of God. Jesus didn't throw in this forgiveness thing just because he ran out of things to talk about. He's giving you a principle that's, that's worked out throughout the entire Bible. Sin blocks fellowship. When you have sin in a family, it blocks fellowship. When you have sin in a marriage, it blocks fellowship. When you have sin in a church, it blocks fellowship. When you have sin on your life, in your, in your mind, it blocks the fellowship you have with God. Sometimes people say, I just don't know where God went. God didn't leave. You did. Sin blocks your growth. People won't grow if they continue in their sin. Forgiveness, ladies and gentlemen, invites God's activity. So when you forgive, when you get forgiven and you forgive others, you're inviting God's activity into your life. Our standing before God is perfect and complete, but our state of fellowship with God is blocked by our sins. So Jesus says concerning this prayer and this relationship with Father, forgive us our debts. It's interesting that he used the word debts. Debts is a word, it's only used twice in the New Testament, this Greek word. And it just means what it sounds like, something that is owed. Do you know that in the realm of sin and forgiveness, debts are a part of that? If you ever have somebody say, I'm going to forgive the debt, that means I'm going to cancel the account. Whenever there is an injury, someone's done wrong, the injury produces a debt. And the only way to get rid of the debt is to have it canceled by forgiveness. So God says the debts that's on you today, ask the Father to forgive those debts. 
But he didn't stop there. Because he said, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, this is about the second relationship that I want to talk about today, the relationship with family. Too many of us in the church in America think our relationship is just our individual relationship with God, and it doesn't matter how I do anything else. The Bible is very clear that when relationships are strained, fellowship with God is blocked. The Bible says, as we forgive our debtors. And he's talking about the fact that we are all in relationship. You see, not everybody on the planet is a child of God, but everyone who is a child of God belongs to everyone who belongs to, to God. We belong to Jesus, and we belong to everyone else who belongs to Jesus. So when we relate wrong to others who belong to Jesus, then we have problems with Daddy. If you want to know a good illustration, the best I can come up with about how God feels about his kids not getting along, just think about this. I want you to rent a 15-passenger van and get 15 children that don't like each other and put them in the van and drive to Texas. And you'll call me before you get to Kentucky because you can't deal with it. Who wants to deal with that? Have you ever had that in your home? I mean, you got kids when the kids are all fighting and mad and arguing and stuff like that. I mean, did you, did you ever just like, well, y'all stop it? Can't you guys, can't you get along for 10 minutes? You know how it is. He's touching me. She's doing this, all this kind of stuff. Well, when the, when the church behaves like that, it doesn't honor the Father. Max Lucado said this years ago, and I, I've never forgotten it. He says that those of us who belong to Jesus, we've all been saved by Jesus, and we've been placed on God's boat to work together. And he said the, the, the issue is not the strength of the boat. The issue is the harmony of the crew. That's true. See, our issue here at, at Eastland is not how strong our church can be. The issue is how much harmony we're willing to work with. The issue in your marriage is not whether or not your marriage is strong or needs to be strong. The issue is how much harmony you want to work with. You want to be a person that seeks unity or you want to be a person that seeks division? You see, the Bible says we're all part of the same family. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We called children of God. And that is what we are. Isn't that great? Hey, if you're a child of God, somebody ought to say amen. Praise God we're children of God. We're part of his family. Well, what kind of responsibility do we have in the family? I'm glad you asked. Colossians 3, we'll put it up there. Colossians 3, verse 13, bear with each other. What in the world do you think that means? Is there anybody in your life that's hard to live with? Man, it's quiet. You guys are getting along good with everybody, right? Come on, just be brave and say, amen, brother. There's people in my life. Amen. Some, you've been to our classes. <laughs> amen. Um, somebody said there's a jerk in every room. And if you can't figure out who it is, it's probably you. 
I, I didn't say it. Don't shoot the messenger. Are there people in your life that you just, you know, it takes, some, it takes more God to love some people than others? Amen? Y'all going to preach with me today or just let me do this by myself? Let's interact a little bit. He says, bear with each other. What, are you, what in the world do you think that means? Huh? A little patience? That, that's, that's a great word. Somebody said patience. I love that. The Bible talks about love. What do y'all think about love? It's a little side note, but I got plenty of time. Love, what does love mean? What, how do you define love? Love is a, uh, a, a, a Chicago hit, you know. Yeah. You're the inspiration, right? That's not really it, is it? What does Paul say about love? Love is what? Patient. Love is kind. That's the definition. What does patient mean? You bear with others. That means when you really want to give them a piece of your mind, you don't. Kindness means when you want to tell them off, you tell them something good. <laughs> That's what love is. How are we doing, guys? Can anybody do that without the Holy Spirit? Jesus said some pretty awesome things, didn't he? He said things like, somebody hits you on one side, what do you do? Huh? How are we doing? Somebody hits you on one side, you offer the other, and once you do that, then take them outside and beat them up, right? How's that working for you? And then come back and say, God, I did what you said. No, you didn't. And there's a lot of people like, well, I'm, I'm not going to ever do it. You know, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to hit anybody. The hitting I do is in here <laughs> or through this. It's like a story I heard uh, my pastor say a long time ago. He was talking about a lady that took her child to the grocery store and put the kid in one of those carts, and the kid stood up in the cart. And you, if you're a good parent, you don't want the kid standing up in the cart, right? So the mother kept saying, sit down. The little girl didn't want to sit down. So after about five times, the mother finally got stern and said, sit down. And the little girl sat down, and she looked right up at her mother and said, you know what? On the outside, I'm sitting down, but on the inside, I'm standing up. That's some of us, isn't it? On the outside, I'm not hitting back. Boy, on the inside, I am. Aren't you glad God doesn't read the inside? Oh, wait a minute. He does, doesn't he? Oops. Bear with each other and what? Oh, here you go. Forgive one another. Now, what in the world does that mean? That means when someone does something wrong to you, you remember it for the rest of your life. No. What? It's forgiven. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive. Uh-oh, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, Pastor Brian, I just can't forgive. Hmm. Have you been forgiven? So this is what it is in the family. But now what about in relationship to our foes? In other words, the people that we don't like. Now don't look at me like that. I know you got people like that in your life. Anybody got any enemies? I'm a pastor. I've got a bunch. And a lot of times people don't say nice things about folks like me. That's okay. And they don't you as well. In fact, if you're going to serve God, you're going to have people that's not going to like you just because. Well, I guess it's okay for us not to like and not to do good for our enemies, except Jesus said this in Matthew 5. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 44, 
But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Jesus says even love our enemies. Man, if we could love our enemies, then we surely can love our spouse. We surely can love our church. We surely can love those people that irritate us. Amen? Well, Jesus said that on a bad day. No, it's probably a good day. Why does he do this? He does this because we're going to overcome evil with good. We're the ones that are going to win. We can overcome evil, but you can't overcome evil by using the same tactics that evil uses. You will overcome it by good. And it's not just the fact that I want to win. Like somebody's done me wrong and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to do good so that God can, you know, get rid of them. The Bible says for me not to gloat when someone reaps. Because the purpose is not that. God doesn't want that stuff in my heart. You know why? I'm going to explain it to you. How does forgiveness work in this relationship thing? I'm going to say in point four, our relationships hinge on forgiveness. You know, if a husband and wife could learn to forgive, I don't see any scenario where they don't make it. A church that can learn to forgive will always be successful. Show me a relationship that won't, that won't make it if you can learn to forgive. I can't think of one. Is it important? Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay. But Brian, I thought you said my standing for God is I'm, I'm clean, I'm justified, I'm adopted, I'm regenerated, I'm born again, I'm part of his. Why are you telling me now that God says he won't forgive me But when I thought he's already forgiven me? Here's the point. Your standing before God is perfect. But your fellowship with God is dependent upon how you deal with the issue of sin in your life. Because as you have realized, you still have a sin nature. When you got born again, the sin nature was still there. Anybody remember when you first got saved? When you first were born again? You remember that? And you thought, man, I'm never going to sin again. And about 30 minutes later, you had a thought come through your mind. You say, how did that happen? Because you're still flesh. The part of salvation called sanctification is where we start to grow. And the sin nature begins to be overcome by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And you become transformed into the image of Jesus. But that happens as we obey the word and we learn to practice forgiveness. You see, some of you are trying to grow in the Lord without practicing forgiveness and you'll never get there. Because Jesus says, if you don't forgive those who have forgiven you, their Heavenly Father is not going to forgive you. That's tough, isn't it? Somebody says, well, forgiveness is easy. I don't think so. It took a cross to get us forgiven. Somebody says, well, I don't want it to be hard. You didn't make the rules. I'll tell you something. Will you hear this a minute? Unforgiveness is a lot tougher. 
I'll prove it. Because the Bible says Jesus will not forgive you if you don't forgive those who have sinned against you. Let me give you some thoughts. The condition of our relationship to the Father is revealed through our relationship with the family. The condition of our relationship to the Father is revealed through our relationship. If you've got broken Christian relationships everywhere, you are showing your relationship to the Father. If you can't be reconciled with God's people, then you're demonstrating that you're not reconciled to the Father. It's revealing. You have a problem. Another point, the forgiveness we seek is proportional to the forgiveness we give. What goes around comes around. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Do you need mercy? Does anybody in the room need mercy? How do you get mercy? By being merciful. I remember this. My grandmother, I think she lived to be 99. I was close. I think she was in her 60s or 70s, and she still went to the nursing home all the time to just minister to the people in the nursing home, to be good to them, to be merciful to them. And I always told her, I said, Grandma, the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I think it happened. You know what happened? When my grandmother was old and couldn't take care of herself, my dad went every day to make sure she had stuff to eat and take care of her. And I watched it demonstrated out in my life. And we're like, I need forgiveness. Well, then forgive. I need mercy. Well, then be merciful. I need grace. Well, then be graceful. You can't get what you need doing it the enemy's way or the world's way. The forgiveness we seek is proportional to the forgiveness we give. Now, somebody's like, well, this sounds really hard. How do I do this? Can I say this? Forgiveness is a decision first. Write that down. It's a decision first. Most people tell me stuff like this. I don't feel like I can forgive. And I get it. Some of you have been hurt in such ways that I, I do understand that. And some have probably been hurt in some ways that I can't really understand. All I can do is say, I'll try to understand. And nobody's going to say that your pain is not real. Nobody's going to say what happened to you is not real. Nobody will ever try to do that. And nobody will ever say, well, just get over it. That's not how forgiveness works. It's a decision first. The feelings catch up. The process works in your heart. But it's a, it's a decision first. And what kind of decision is it? It's a decision to be obedient to the Word of God. Because God said, do it. And God didn't give any exclusionary clauses that says, oh, in this particular case, you don't do it. God just says, do it. And every time God says, do something, if we do it, then the power is released. Sometimes we say, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. A great illustration is when Jesus is talking to a man who had a withered hand. The, the man couldn't move his hand. And Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. 
And the man's like, you don't understand, Jesus. I can't. Jesus says, do it. He says, I can't. Jesus said, do it. So you know what he did? He stretched forth his hand. Jesus says, forgive. You say, I can't do it. Jesus says, forgive. You say, I can't do it. Jesus says, forgive. I can't do it. Just do it. And then you find out the power of God is there. I just wonder how much of our life we're going to waste with unforgiveness and all that it produces. Let me say this about forgiveness, and then I'm going to get to that. Forgiveness is the canceling of a debt. The debt is canceled, gone. Injury, debt, cancellation. Gone. Anybody like it when someone brings up your past to you all the time? And that debt's not been canceled. Let's talk about unforgiveness as we're getting ready to work our way through this. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Luke to come in just a moment. Because I want us to pray together. Unforgiveness blocks relationships from flourishing. Not yet. Unforgiveness blocks relationships from flourishing. You want trouble in your family? Just hold stuff against them. You might say, well, you don't know what they've done. I've had people say that to me. They come to me and say, well, you don't know what this person's done to me. And my pastor taught me this, and I've never forgotten it. No, I don't know what they've done to you, but I can see what you're doing to you. And what you're doing to you seems worse than what they did to you. Because now what you're doing is you're living in the, the eternal present of what somebody did to you in the past. Because of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness poisons the soul. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. I'm mad at them. I'll never be over this. They probably got over it already, and you're sitting here living in this. It's crazy, isn't it? Let me get practical a little bit. Some reasons why we don't forgive, it's not going to be on the board, but I'm going to tell you. I think some reasons why we don't forgive is because we don't understand how much we have been forgiven. We don't personalize forgiveness because we forget how much it took for us to be forgiven. Second thing is <clears throat> we don't understand the process. We just think it should be this feeling that comes over us and all of a sudden it's gone. Another reason why we don't forgive is because we think forgiving is forgetting. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is forsaking. It's choosing to turn away from it. Canceling the debt. We believe that forgiveness is condoning evil. I've heard people say, you mean I'm just going to let them get away with it? I'm like, what do you mean let them get away with you? Are you the instrument of judgment? You see, when we're holding unforgiveness, it's an attempt at judgment, retaliation, vengeance. You mean to tell me, Brian, I'm going to let them get away with it? Look, if someone sins, they will not get away with it. According to the Bible, whatever a person sows, they're going to reap. But we're not called to be that person. Only, John, only God can do that. God said, vengeance is mine. 
We're called not to be vengeful people, but forgiving people. Sometimes we confuse reconciliation and forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is from the past, what happened in the past. Reconciliation is what's going on in the present, but it takes two. You see, you may today need to forgive somebody, and you'll never be reconciled with them because without repentance and forgiveness, there's no reconciliation. For two people to be reconciled, it takes both, forgiveness, repentance. And then trust is what you do in the future. Forgiveness, reconciliation, trust. Trust is earned. If you have a relational problem and you've forgiven and you've reconciled and you're like, what am I going to do about this trust? You've got to move forward. Trust has to be earned. And sometimes we confuse that. Today, I can't tell you that you'll be reconciled today, but I can tell you this. You can forgive today. Let me close this out. And I'm going to have Luke come and play something, and we're going to, I'm going to give you 10 ways to tell that unforgiveness is your problem, and then we're going to pray together. How to tell if unforgiveness is your problem, listen to me in a second. Number one, you habitually leave disputes unfinished. When you have a conflict, you're in the habit of just letting it go. You might think, well, I'm letting it go, and, you know, I'm not going to let it affect me. No, what you've done, particularly if it's in your relationships, you're not solving your problem, and the problem's still there. Number two, you can tell unforgiveness is your problem is when you're offended, you never tell the offender. You hold it in. You stuff it. Number three, you tell others about the offense. Someone offends you, you do not go to them, you contact someone else and you spread that. Now what have you done? Now you're spreading gossip. Number four, the mention of someone's name triggers you. You hear someone's name and immediately those emotions spring up. And the reaction is quick. How can you tell if unforgiveness is your problem? You're defensive. Number six, you're overly concerned with who was right. Number seven, you desire retaliation rather than grace. Number eight, you possess a critical spirit. If you think unforgiveness won't work, criticism into your soul, you're wrong. Number nine, bitterness colors your world. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness coming up and defiling people. You know what that is? It's people that are living with unforgiveness. And they think, I can handle it. But then after a while, it begins to color everything. The bitterness of their life is expressed about everything. Do you ever notice sometimes when people get older, their personality changes? Sometimes it changes to the worse, and you're like, why are they so angry? Why, when they get older, do they get so mean? Because that was always in their heart, but they did not have, or now they don't have the energy to conceal it anymore. 
And the bitterness and unforgiveness of their life has now produced this ugly temperament where people don't want, want to be around you. If you live in this unforgiveness, it's going to produce that in your life. Bitterness will become a part of your world. And the last one is this. Your quality of life is diminishing. Life is not good anymore. Life just begins to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And you know what else will happen? If you don't deal with things inside of your soul like that, what eventually will happen is your body will eventually begin to react to what's inside of your heart. It's called psychosomatic illness. It means stuff that's in here that starts affecting the body in a bad way. Do you know now there's probably, I think there's 70 uh, autoimmune diseases now. 30 years ago, there was two or three. Why is it different now? Why is it diseases now that no one can even figure out where it's coming from? It's because the state of our heart is so bad. And we deal with stuff wrong. We either stuff it and live with it. Sometimes we can't deal with the pain, so we go and we use substances or we run. We do different things, try to make life mean something, try to find that joy again. When all we got to do is come back to the very elementary things that Jesus taught us. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And I want to ask you today, you look at that page, and I want you to just get still for a moment. And I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. And you can use the page if you want to. It's your page. No one's going to look at it. You're not going to turn it in. And if you're not a person that likes to write things, that's okay. But I want you to do something. I want you to think about this a moment, all right? There are two things in our take action part today. And I think if you'll do this today, you'll come out of here a little different. Remember, Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. Here's what I want you to do first. The first thing says, today I confess my sin. And I want you to think about what are some of those things that are in your heart that need to come out before God today. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Bow your head, close your eyes, or stare at your page, or write, do something but let me give you some thoughts, some things that you can think about. Are there thoughts that come into your mind that you just let live there now? If you're harboring unforgiveness against someone, that is in itself a sin. It needs to be confessed. Is there things in your life that God has told you to do that you have yet to do? That's sins of omission. Have you wronged somebody? Have you wronged somebody and you've not made it right yet and you know it? Is there things that you're covering up inside? As Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Remember, we're praying to our Father today. We're praying to our Father today. And our Father loves us. And He already can see our heart. And He already knows. Man, the enemies thing, loving your enemies, that's hard, isn't it? 
Well, I think about this. I can think about people who have wronged me and publicly done it. As a minister, you know what I've gotten used to? I wrote this a long time ago that I, I realized that in my life with, my, with Robin and me, many times close friends are going to leave our fellowship. You think that's easy? Close friends are going to rarely explain why they do that. They, they don't even explain it. They just disappear. And sometimes these same close friends, they speak negatively and publicly about us. They can leave us as if we were just dead. And sometimes in my mind, I can see those things and I know those things. And you say, oh, well, after a while, it, it doesn't hurt you. You get used to it. I don't know that you ever get used to somebody hurting you, do you? Gives me no great joy to have that, but I don't want them to be enemies. I want to be able to forgive them as well. What is it today? The altar's open. Some have come to pray. Maybe you want to just come pray today. We got two things to do. Today I confess my sin, and today I choose to forgive. Tell me, who do you need to forgive today? Forgiveness is not forgetting, right? But forgiveness is saying, as far as in my heart and my soul is concerned today, I am choosing to cancel the debt. I'm not going to live in that anymore. Today I confess my sin. Today I choose to forgive. I can promise you this. If you'll cancel the debt, the process will begin in your heart. And that simple joy of the Lord will begin working its way back into your soul. You're saying today, I choose not to live in the wrong that someone's done to me. I choose not to live there forever. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to put that on the cross. Today I confess and today I choose.